Welcome to a talk podcast special with me, Marcus Stead, where we will explore the subjects of mistaken identity, libel and defamation. On the evening of Thursday the 18th of January, 360 very wealthy, well-connected men from the worlds of business, entertainment and politics attended the annual President's Club dinner at the Dorchester Hotel in London. You'll recall that a few days later, a major news story developed when it was revealed that the Financial Times sent two undercover reporters to join the 130 scantily clad hostesses hired for the occasion. The lead reporter wrote that hostesses were subject to instances of groping, lewd comments and requests to join guests in their bedrooms. The man presiding over the charity auction that night was Jonathan Gould, who many years ago worked as a sports broadcaster. The Financial Times and at least one other publication referred to him as Johnny Gould, a completely different person who still does work as a sports broadcaster, as well as a radio host and a newspaper reviewer on Sky News, where he appears on the Sunrise programme most Thursday mornings. In this podcast, Johnny talks us through how events unfolded and how, with the help of Mark Lewis, one of Britain's best libel lawyers, he was compensated for the distress caused and potential damage to his reputation. In the second half of the podcast, we widen the discussion to Johnny's other interests. He talks about his work as a mental health advocate for adult men and an upcoming charity event with former Football Association chairman David Bernstein. Johnny also touches on his long career as chief executive of sports media, a company that used to provide sponsored sports bulletins to commercial radio stations across the UK. We also discuss the state of local and hyper-local journalism and the challenges and opportunities it presents. Now before we begin, I should point out that we recorded this interview via Skype, so the sound quality is not always perfect, I'm afraid, but this is essential listening if you have an interest in media law, libel, defamation and the overall state of journalism in the UK. And I'm delighted to say Johnny Gould is with me now. Johnny, welcome to Talk Podcasts. Marcus, it's good to speak to you. Good man. So let's, let's recap on events. The President's Club dinner took place on Thursday the 18th of January. And then we go forward to, I think it was the evening of the 23rd of January when the FT story broke. I've got this image of you sat at home quietly with your family minding your own business and your phone suddenly going mad. Talk us through what happened. Yes, Marcus, I had been on an excruciating train journey from Strasbourg in France via Lille through the tunnel and home with my baby children. And that, after six hours, was difficult and i got in settled down watched a bit of tv and then noticed my dm going on twitter Mm. and it was the jeremy vine show (laughs) right and jeremy vine knows me as a sort of talking head i've been on there a couple of times and they picked me off as someone on one side of the argument in classic radio star i'll find someone else on the other side of the argument we argue away for a bit and then they say, oh, what do you think? Call me now, Vinder PK. Uh, uh, and they asked me about the President's Club, and I had tracked it through Twitter. Not very clearly. I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. Mm. Um, but um, they said, would you like to go on? And I th- as I thought it was, you know, one o'clock the next day, I said yes, and I'd read through it. 
and they said what do you think about it and i said well i'll read about it but my initial thoughts are xyz mm -hmm. without actually knowing that i was words six and seven in the article that they were making a mountain out of yes and it was when i opened it i recoiled in my horror and confessed to them that i knew nothing of this i wasn't there and i shouldn't really be on and they said yes i agree we'll leave you to it mm -hmm. um and from there it got later at night and the story was starting to get traction via social media of course it was going to appear in print from 6 a.m the next morning mm -hmm. uh, but then jonathan friedland a friend of mine from the guardian said you yeah. really need to be putting out a disclaimer distancing yourself from this because this is going to be a very big story in the morning. And then Phil Williams from Five Live dropped me a note and said, it wasn't you, was it? I said, no, of course it bloody wasn't. What are you doing? Mm. And he said, no, I didn't think it was you. And then he said, you know, you're probably going to be able to take action against the FC. I said, right, yes, I'm sure I will. And then Friedland sends me another note and said, look, it's near midnight. I'm not going to bed until you write this tweet. Yeah. Comrade, brother, write it, because I think this is going to be very messy for you. Mm. And so I did. And then he went about retweeting it. And then I noticed, including you, uh, which for which I thank you, you, uh, right. you, you well, you know, it's, it's good to have friends when you're chucked down the bottom of a well, I tell you. I bet, yes. Um, <laughs> um, a lot of people retweeted it. It got traction and it became the alternative narrative to this messy, messy story. Mm. But it wasn't enough, Marcus. It wasn't enough because in the morning... Mm. Uh, the FT sent out another tweet and then outraged people at tagged my name, mm. David Williams's name, even Boris Johnson's name. And uh, Boris was nowhere near this event. It was just that he was one of the prizes in the auction hosted yeah. by the other Johnny Gould saying, you know, spend 40 grand tonight with the President's Club and you can have a lunch. Bullingdon star with good old Boris. And, mm. um, the the disgrace of these three characters, these misogynists, and these people are dinosaurs, etc. And then notes started to appear about sacking me from Sky News and then putting a picture of my starey face against the other Johnny Gould's quote, which was, welcome to the most un-PC un event of the year. Yeah. And so I was moved to write immediately to Sky News saying, look, this isn't me. Don't sack me. Mm. I'll see you next week. Hopefully all the best, comma, Johnny. And people realized um, quickly who knew me mm. that it wasn't me. Sarah Jane I mean, wrote me a very nice uh, DM, Jonathan Samuels. Uh, and it was at that point that 10 or 11 in the morning, three of these tweets were coming through. Every minute, Marcus. Yeah, I bet. Saying, sack him, retweet him, this, all this kind of thing. Mm. And it was at that point that I hired a libel lawyer. And I thought, who do I know in that business? The person that I knew in that business was the greatest libel lawyer of our generation. And his name is Mark Lewis. Yeah. Mark I, I, Lewis. I tell you what, we're going to, we'll come on to that in a minute because I followed Mark Lewis on Twitter and the way he handled the situation, which impressed me hugely. But going back to the evening where this story broke, I mean, the story here really is there were two Johnny Goulds. There's yourself and there's somebody who worked as a sports broadcaster many years ago. Um, and I, I've got two quotes in front of me now from the, uh, the FT article. 
And anyone who knows you, Johnny, knows you wouldn't say this. And if we were doing this interview on conventional radio, I wouldn't repeat it. But because we're on a podcast, I can get away with it. He said two things, which are just, <laughs> which are just not your words. I'll, I'll give it to you now. One of his quotes was, close your eyes and you'll be sleeping with the most beautiful woman in the world. That's how began, he began one of the um, lots at the auction. And another one was, a boob job for the missus, 10 grand to get me started. Now, the thing is, Johnny, I've known you, what, 11 years, but I've been following your career a lot longer than that. I've been following your career since, what, 1995, um, back on the original talk radio. In fact, it's the 23rd anniversary today of the launch of that station. Indeed. uh, Yeah, and I I just know you do not use language like that. You hardly ever swear. You're a family man, and I've never heard you make a misogynistic comment. Did you find that people who actually knew you were never in any doubt that it definitely wasn't you? Not everyone, I've got to say, Marcus. I've got Mm. two young girl children, Mm. (laughs) and an old girlfriend sent me an email saying I should be ashamed and you know I I was a bit annoyed that she didn't say it's not you is it Mm. she just launched in and I said well you'll be glad to hear it wasn't me Mm. and then she sent an email back saying oh i apologize and i thought i'd leave it at that i don't really yeah i mean she righteous should, anger pointed at me yeah she she should know you um, better than to, to to jump to that conclusion but the funny thing well, is hopefully I, mean, I i i worked out you know that you and the other johnny gould worked at channel five at the same time that's um, right uh, it would have been in the late 1990s he was presenting the overnight sports coverage generally live baseball and then that would be followed by the Five News Early program, which became Five News at Breakfast, which you presented for quite a while. And um, I gather that was probably even in the same building, wasn't it? Because you would have been at Gray's Inn Road, the ITN building. And um, he would have done the overnight sports coverage, which also came from there for quite a long time. So you were at the same station, same name, same time, and in the same building, and one show after the other. So there's been overlap before. Have you ever... Has your identity ever been confused in any other context over the years in this way? I'm not joking. It was the same desk in the same swivel chair. Good grief. I, I, I hot-seated with him at 5.59am. Mm. I had written to him shortly before that and saying, would you mind, as you came after me, calling yourself Jonathan Gould? And he agreed in the short term, and even on Wikipedia to this day, mm. he is Jonathan Michael Gould, and I am Johnny Gould. Yeah. I own the Twitter handle Johnny Gould. He is Johnny M. Gould. Mm. What I couldn't stop is people calling him Johnny. In the same way that I started life as Jonathan, like him, mm. people call you Johnny, and that's it. Yeah. But there has definitely been a conflation of identity. He even admitted one mm. that he got that baseball job based upon... Uh, me, which of course, if I'd have taken that any further, I could have taken action. But I thought it's, you know, mm. by the by, yeah. And we have been mistaken before. I was always very, very clear, Marcus, to differentiate between us. Mm. Rather comically, from a few months ago, I got a bill from the Dorchester <laughs> um, showing that I'd been into the, um, you know, the drinks tray in the hotel, and that if I enjoyed my time, they'd like to see me again. Mm. So. I Popped a little first-class stamp on that and sent it off to Wiltshire, where he is. Yeah, and, um, um, yeah, I have, but it's become less important as we've gone on. I'm really quite satisfied with the work I get, and people know who I am. And yeah. actually, as you say, he worked as a baseball reporter, mm. you know, up to about 15 years ago, mm. and actually, our paths. Um, 
moved apart because he then became a celebrity auctioneer. Yeah. Um, and very well he did. I actually dropped him a note that night mm. to say that I wasn't angry with him. Mm. I was angry with the clumsiness of the journalism. Yeah. The idea that they hadn't marked him up as the baseball presenter or indeed the auctioneer sure. uh, of the event. And we, uh, we, we, we exchanged sort of friendly notes. He was very, very deeply upset and hurt mm. because actually he deserves better than this. Look, he uses industrial language to get drunk old rich men to part with 20 grand. Mm. But the point of that is that in goodwill and in his way of entertainment, mm. that man has raised millions for good causes over many years. So mm. from that point of view, I salute Johnny Gould. And yeah. I hope his career um, is modified and corrected in the name of uh, charity. Well, well, yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the moment I read that on the FT website on that evening, late on that evening, and I saw the name Johnny Gould, I automatically and rightly assumed it was him because everything fitted. I knew he was an auctioneer and um, I knew he, he took part in these sorts of events. Um, but, you know, that whether he chooses to accept that, those particular sort of gigs is his decision to make. It's not your problem, so to speak, until these issues of mistaken identity come up. But the irony is that Johnny Gould is not the only name that got mistaken identity in all this. There was also a David Meller, wasn't there? Indeed, that was about lunchtime, and uh, he resigned. And, of course, I thought, oh, gosh, was he involved in it as well? <laughs> Meller, <laughs> of course, E-R. That's right. He was, uh, was he not the, the sort of president of the President's that Club? Mm. Um, what I think is a great shame is that that event mm. uh, is an institution and that they, under extreme pressure, and I can understand that because I experienced it too, mm. made a knee-jerk decision never to stage another one. Now, what they could have done instead was made it a mainstay of, of you know, family life, invited yes. wives along, mm. and just modified it and turned it into a social occasion. Yeah, changed the tone of it, yeah. Yeah, I mean the you know the the president and first ladies club, or something even less uh, sexist than that in the modern world. The yeah, mm. uh, you know the first family club, just something else. Uh, uh, and you know that the thing that happened me and, was there was an over there was an overreaction, I think, from Great Ormond Street in handing that money back. Because put it this way, if your child is ill in Great Ormond Street and they're having some super expensive equipment being used to treat the child and keep the child alive, you're not going to care where that money came from. Precisely, and let's not forget in their self-righteousness mm. that that money was not earned through ill advantage. That was guys who are very fortunate to be millionaires mm. giving something back. Yes. And the fact that it was done because the waitresses wear clingy clothes has nothing to do with the moral tone of the money that was given. And I think they've made a huge mistake. And um, I have pledged to give some of my damages which i won from this yeah to a charity and i've got to say my initial thought was i will replace some of the great ormond street hospital money but mm. i've decided not to marcus i'm going to give it to someone else well i i can i can quite understand that and we'll come on to what actually happened next as this discussion continues so we're into the following day now and you've got in touch with the libel lawyer what action did he take that morning mark told me immediately that it was a no win no fee um, scenario mm. um, and that he would take a percentage in terms of his fees mm. for what was earned whether it was big or small he warned me that it wouldn't be 
you know, the sort of dramatic American money for scolding your tongue on a McDonald's burger or whatever happened. You know, mm-hmm. people have been paid out $6 million in ridiculous, life-changing amounts of money. Yeah. He told me it would be a modest sum, uh, and that if you thought that was not enough and then you took it to the high court, the judge would take a very dim view of someone spending £300,000 on court costs mm-hmm. to improve... Um, a figure from say five or six grand to eight grand that's not the way we do it so he then issued an immediate letter Mm -hmm. stating the open and shut nature of the case he said it's an absolute clear mistaken identity and uh, libel here and we will look to get a cash settlement and more importantly actually um a tweet or two, or even three, plus a printed apology in the newspaper the next day. The FT weren't the only people. Mm. The libel was repeated. What do we always learn at journalism college? Not that I ever went, but you know what I mean. Every every repetition is a fresh publication. And that went through The Sun, mm. and it also went through uh, City AM and one other website. Yeah, um, a political website, wasn't it? Beginning with an E, I can't remember its name. That's right. Well, we'll we'll leave that identity from there. We'll leave okay. it. We'll leave it there. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, they haven't got any money, mm. um, and that case is uh, going to uh, one of the uh, press complaints organisations. I see. Uh, that was revised after the PCC. However, I can say that the FT and the Sun acted very gentlemanly mm. uh, and very very swiftly. They acknowledged uh, the error and they agreed to pay me a sum which was then negotiated over gently not to not to um uh, you know not too dramatically but a, a quick uh, to and fro between the lawyers mm. and a sum was paid now the money is important marcus the apology wasn't enough they had to be fined at something yeah. you have to give something away it's mm. not the money it's the principle of it of course an apology wouldn't be enough um, because you sometimes see these sort of mealy-mouthed apologies on page 36 of the Daily Mail, don't you? Oh, yeah. We mentioned, you know, we mentioned David Smith, the psychiatrist, and we'd like to say that it wasn't him, you know, at the mm. supermarket with the bottle in his pocket, mm. and we'd like to apologise. I mean, it's got... And yet they made a massive splash of that poor bloke and it embarrassed him sure. uh, when he went to church the next day or you know, wherever he went about his business. I, I was actually the same in that, that same position myself a few years ago when, when the sun... <laughs> The Sun did a, a, a double-page spread on me. If you look on my blog, you'll see it. I'll send you the link a bit later, perhaps. Oh, dear. And, uh, oh, dear. Where, where I, I fought and fought. I fought with um, Philippa Kennedy, the former TV presenter who was in charge of The Sun's mediation by that stage. And in the end, I, I thought, I don't want to go through court. And I ended up with a little blue square at the bottom left-hand corner of page two. But um, I wasn't that bothered. It wasn't that serious. But, you know, it, what they put about me was not correct. So I did chase it up. No. And what Mark Lewis said to me that morning, uh, amidst my despair, and it was growing and it was ugly, and the retweets were also particularly hurting, mm. and the FT editor then boasted about it being the biggest page impressions for a web page he'd ever received as an editor in his years as as the boss. And I thought, well, that makes my heart sink, mm. because even if you trail off with boredom during the middle of that article, you will have definitely seen Johnny Gould, because my words were six and seven. Yes, yeah, top paragraph, it, it, it was. And the other thing I remember Mark did, I mean, I kept an eye on his Twitter feed quite closely that day. There was a feminist journalist whose name escapes me now, and she put your Twitter handle when she was saying how appalled she was with it. I'm appalled at, at Johnny Gould, what he's done. And Mark quite diplomatically said, I'd like to sort this amicably. Can you retract, retract it or words to that effect? 
and sure enough, she did. Do you know the lady I'm referring to? I do indeed. It got 650 retweets, so it was absolutely blowing mm. my denials out of the water. And all I needed her to do... Mm. Sophie Running, the name comes to mind. That's right. Yeah, that's the one. Um, I basically urged her to delete it, which would have been enough. Mm. And the reason she wasn't deleting it was, of course, it was the biggest tweet of her Twitter life. Yeah. And she was getting followers and awareness, and what a big day for her it was. Mm. But she was deeply transgressing my reputation. Mm. Uh, in the end, Mark got hold of her and apparently found out that it wasn't her that was doing it it was an assistant on work experience of some kind right. who ran away at the idea of uh, a pish posh lawyer like mark phoning her up and she deleted it which was enough for me yeah yeah so it, you went you went from that situation and then i noticed i kept an eye on your twitter feed and your wife came on as well and she doesn't tweet very <laughs> often i don't think it must have been quite an upsetting thing not just for you but for your whole family by this point it was, you know, the um, first thing that my wife um, immediately is sort of came to my aid online mm. and she was very supportive and, you know, literally no problem in the home, you know, yeah, sure. everything was fine. Mm. Um, but yes, you know, even yesterday I was out uh, in the West End and a friend of mine who had actually been a guest on the radio show um, a few weeks ago on my talk radio show. Mm. Rabbi Dr. Stuart Altshuler yes, said, I want to hear, I want to, I want to hear all about your, <laughs> your President's Club, man. I said, yeah, oh, come on, it's not me. Mm. Oh, really? I got to hear about this. <laughs> I could say, I could feel the vague disappointment that he, I couldn't teach you anything. Yeah. That's not a bad impression <laughs> you've got there, actually. It's not bad at all. I remember him well. Yeah. So... <laughs> Anyway, so it's still going on a bit, mm. <laughs> but um, I, look, the, the sort of the stress and pressure has, has sort of gone now. The settlements have been made largely apart from a couple of small outstanding ones, which have been presented as follows. The, the, the smallish website, which is mm. that I want my lawyer's fees to be covered yeah. and any settlement, uh, which would be, you know, not very much, a few hundred pounds, mm. should um, be paid to me so I can give it to charity. Yes. And it's very important that it's paid to me because instead of for them, first of all, I don't want their grubby name on my charity donation because it's my right to do it in my name. That's the first thing. Absolutely. And the second, and second thing is the most important thing is that if I do it in my name, I get the gift aid. Yes. And they get another 100 or 200 pounds as well. So that, that stuff is... Yeah. minute but it's important yeah so so we're looking at a, a fairly modest settlement but here we are now a few weeks on and you have continued to broadcast you appear on sky news most thursday mornings you appear with phil williams on five live um, you've also been on um, talk radio as well um with, with a did, did the Eamon holmes thing go ahead in the end because i didn't hear it it did yeah. um it did and um it to be absolutely honest, um, I went in the morning of, uh, sorry, the, the evening of, of the day, and uh, everyone at Talk Radio had known it was me because I appeared on the Hugh Wizzy show on Talk Sport that night. Yeah. And um, and, and um, the producers, uh, Ricky Freelove, who used to produce my show, he gave me a hug. He said, You've had a terrible day, haven't you? But everyone knew mm. uh, about the incident. But also, better than that, everyone knew about my denial, and um, which, which was a very, mm. very important. So, you know, a, a day of very, very swift action. Yeah, uh, resulted in, in everyone who knows you knows that it wasn't you. I mean, it, it's just I knew straight away the moment I read it, as I said a moment ago, I knew that it wasn't you. But here we are a few weeks on. 
And it does seem very much as though it is business as usual. You're still appearing on Sky News. The, the radio interviews and everything else is still carrying on. Do you think there has been any damage to your career from this? Because I'm not sure that it's actually... Most people know you. You know what I'm saying? I thought there might be. And I was on Sky News last week and I was expecting someone to pipe up no wonder you think that whatever it might be you are a misogynist i thought that might appear and it didn't and mm. um it does look like uh it was uh, a very very uh, nasty storm mm. in a minute teacup yeah. so i will monitor these things i did think these things would carry on um there are people like, like for example my friend Stuart yesterday who uh who thought it was me and indeed you know i might un- uncover some of these things in in months or even years to come uh, but but um i think you're right marcus i think the worst of it is over yeah i i think i think so because it is business as usual and people are differentiating between the two of you and people who know you know you that that's how i would put it so if thank any, you if, if anyone is in a similar situation what advice would you give them? I mean, the first thing I would say, it seems the exact to follow your example is to act fast as soon as you know you've got this, these sort of situations developing. And I think Jonathan Friedland gave you good advice in that sense. He gave me good advice. I mean, I am a little bit lucky in the sense that, uh, you know, I have more than your average set of followers on Twitter so that mm. if I put something out and there are people who follow me, they will retweet it. Mm. I have more traffic than someone who maybe has 25 followers and who's a window cleaner. Yeah. You know, and then you really are in a bit of trouble. But you can still, it is still... Uh, an egalitarian um, um, social media um, website. So if you hashtag it in the right way, uh, the traffic does go out there mm. um, in a way that can be seen visibly. Um, so, you know, even the smallest um, Twitter account can get thousands of retweets. That's the sort of democracy, if you like, of, of Twitter. And the second thing that you must do mm. is find yourself a capable, talented libel lawyer on a no win no fee basis because once it's on no win no fee yeah you really have access to the best mind and the best person that you can deal with yeah and of course in my case the transgression was was a nasty one Mm. um and it was a high profile one um it was open and shut Uh, um but it really rather all depends on what was said the the, the, the last big high-profile case that Mark had worked on was that of Jack Monroe versus Katie Hopkins. Oh, yes. Yeah, which, I remember it well. Which was, uh, you know, a deeply unpleasant allegation mm. um, about uh, Jack, which um, uh, Jack said, I want an apology, and Katie said no. And didn't get one, and so it actually went to the High Court. Yeah. And... That created an extremely expensive set of court costs, which Hopkins has to pay. Mm. And for that, her house has been put up for sale. So it's a source of deep regret, I'm sure, for her. Well, I, I think Katie Hopkins, she's, she's made a number of comments like this. It was only a matter of time before it was going to catch up with her, the way she was carrying on around about that yeah. period, as I recall. Um, but, but, but apparently, um, Jack, Jack Monroe said, I... I the only thing I ever wanted was an apology, and they would have left it there. Mm, exactly. So it's a bit of a tragedy, really. Well, yeah, she could have nipped it in the bud before we got anything like to this stage. So she's brought it upon herself to a large extent. Mm. So mm. all all is well with you now, and uh, you continue to work. And tell us about this project you're involved with at the moment to do with Striker Boy, because you've got a dinner coming up relating to that, haven't you? Yes, thank you, Marcus. Um, Striker Boy is a mental health campaign to 
start a conversation, to continue a conversation mm. about male suicide um, in men of aged 40 to 50. My first cousin's husband, a very good friend of mine for over 30 years, Johnny Zucker, very suddenly took his own life. He battled with depression for a long time. It took chunks out of his career and his personality, but he lit up the room. And you know what? On every other spectrum that you can think of, the fact that he was a good father to three, he'd been married for 25 years. Mm. This was a highly successful man. Yes. He just didn't think he was. And that is... Oh, it's, the tragedy doesn't even cover it. Really. It certainly is. I mean, I, I was aware of the story as it broke at the time, and I mean, it's bound to have affected your family in all sorts of ways, and it, it was incredibly tragic, and my sympathies go out to all who knew him. And what, what I would say is one of the great things about society, I would say, in the last 10, 15 years is we are much more open about mental health. But, you know, there is still this unpleasant stigma, particularly with men, you know. It's okay for men to say, yes, I am struggling, and yes, I need help, and to get that help before the situation escalates, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, a lot can go wrong in people's careers, and the perception that you are on your own because you got fired or, you know, you're not having the career that the person you were in class with is having mm. is actually a universal problem for people of our generation, Marcus. Yes. Um, you know, we don't have the careers of our fathers. You know, our father went to work for the same person for 30 years, mm. rose up the ladder looking like Terry Scott out of Terry and June. Yes. And, you know, worked till he was 65 mm. and then ended up you know, in a one million pound house in the suburb. Well, <laughs> in it's, it's, you're absolutely city right. City or town that you could mention. I, I mean, you know, I mean, and. For we you don't and have that for me, for you and for me and for many other people, the reality is we can't put all our eggs in one basket. We've got to diversify our means of income. And I, I would say to most young people now, that's going to be the reality of life. Um, you, you know, the things you could reasonably expect 30, 40 years ago, go to university, um, you get, a, you know, a standard nine to five office job, which is secure, um, a, a secure private pension. You'll be able to afford a house. Um, with a steady mortgage, all those assumptions are now largely gone. It's much harder to get on in life, and I can see how it gets on top of people sometimes. I tell you what, if I was 21 again, as I was in 1988, to attempt to do what I did mm. in the comparatively straight line I've been able to do it, mm. I couldn't do now. And indeed, um, the sports media business, which I had made a calculation might take me through to retirement, was mm. gradually eroded through a number of pressures namely corporatism yes companies um, amalgamating getting bigger and colonizing relationships which i had um cultivated myself but that they wouldn't listen to small independent operators anymore mm. and i think also um the credit crunch yeah um which emboldened big business over small business mm. and i have to say <laughs> as a brexiteer i think the lisbon treaty caused great upheaval between employer and employee in this country yes. because um, it apportioned EU directives and plonked them on top of small-time businesses, mm. um, forcing those small-time businesses mm. to come up with big social costs to employ people. Yeah. Um, and you look, you look across the road, you look to builders who are building sites opposite your office and realizing that all the 
immigrant builders they're using, who maybe they're paying cash to, maybe they're not, mm. um, have a free ride in a free market that I didn't at sports media. Yeah. And it crashed my business. Mm. Mm. Ultimately, a business which was fundamentally strong for 24 years mm. uh, was taken out really in about took a long time to chop the tree down, but it took about four years. Yeah. But it is as a consequence of modern-day pressures which had changed. That... I, can't, I can't complain in the sense that it was a good business and uh, you know, it gave me a, a great deal of pleasure and satisfaction, but mm. things changed a little bit too fast for society. You know, we weren't yeah. given warning. Yeah, exactly. And the radio industry has changed so much anyway. Yeah. I mean, pretty much every town and city in the country now has a heart station. And they've got yep. their target demographic, and that wasn't the sports media demographic, was it really? And um, no, it wasn't. And, and, and that was. But that. we also, um, yeah, we 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 can't um, we can't compete mm. with the bigger players, and the, 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 the lo localization has been changed. Yes. Um, I don't know where this will end up, but mm. um, Twitter, I think, has um, taken. Um, largely Twitter and probably Facebook as well mm. has taken out um, local publishing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was at a media law day in Cardiff recently, um, and I was at a media law day with um, David Banks, who, funnily enough, retweeted one of your tweets um, to do with this very story. But I was also at a day about hyperlocal journalism, and I was kind of wishing you were there, really, Johnny, because I think you'd have appreciated it. How people yes. how people are now making money from hyperlocal news websites. Um, they're, not, they're making not very much money, it seems to me, and it's largely run by enthusiasts, whether it's hyper-local news video services, um, local free sheets that are being delivered to houses, um, and they were explaining their business models, and it seems to me that they get top marks for enthusiasm, they really do, and it was a very good day, but no one's quite cracked how to make serious money and a serious living from it. I run a micro-news, a hyper-local news site which is effectively a notice board of retweets mm. on belsize village yeah. at belsize village uh, on twitter and again that is entirely my own mm. um enthusiasm and it is effectively all the editorial values that i learned as a local radio journalist yeah. so basically if you can walk from belsize village mm. to a plot anywhere in anywhere between finchley road and chalk farm mm. i will cover it yeah it's, yeah and sometimes I generate my own tweets on there, but really it's about building local relationships. It's not about making money, but as a journalist, mm. it's my right thumb, and it gives me great pleasure. Yeah, I mean, this, this is right up the street of what we were discussing at this conference that day. There were people very similar to you up and down the country. Some came from London. We had a fella who lives in the Grenville Tower area, and he was talking oh, yeah. about how he used to work for the Evening Standard, and now... Well, he's, he, made, he made a claim, which I'm not sure I agree with or not. He said if there was local journalism the way there was in the early 90s when he started his career, he said the Grenville Tower thing wouldn't have happened because he, as the person who was on that patch, would have seen the local council's meeting agenda where it said we want to fit cladding, the cheap cladding on there. He would have spotted it on the agenda, reported it in a local paper and embarrassed the council before it even got to that stage. But, of course, there's no one covering those local council meetings now. And the Evening Standard has effectively become a celebrity paper, talking about celebrity gossip edited by George Osborne. Um, and he was saying no one, no one spotted that on the council agenda. They fitted the clad in, and the council wasn't held to account. 
that was his view. Um, but we had we had numerous things like this. I mean, I'm involved in a venture at the moment called, called Pinarth SMTV with Anna Brees, who used to present Central News with Bob Warman, who I'm sure you'll be familiar right. with. And um, she and I are working on this thing, and she's essentially making a little bit of money from selling slots to estate agents for little adverts in the middle of okay. the, the videos we're doing. So that that's just another version of the model. But we've got sidetracked a little bit here. Let's get back to Striker Boy and this thing you're hosting. So Striker Boy was a book written by Johnny Zucker. And um, you've, you've, done, um, you've done an audio book for this, and there's also, also a printed book for this. Which age range is it aimed at mainly? It's really aimed at uh, secondary school kids. Mm. And it is the story of just that boy. It is a boy called Nat Dixon, who is from a single-parent family. Mm. It's a very, very touching narrative about the relationship between uh, him and his father, and they've been around the world, and he's homeschooled him in all these different places. And mm. uh, Nat Dixon is bestowed with amazing football talent of the Cristiano Ronaldo variety. Mm -hmm. And they come home to Hatton Rangers, uh, to Hatton, his town, which uh, is approximately around Heathrow Airport. Mm. Uh, they build their own house. He goes to the local comprehensive school. Mm. And this boy, who is 13, pretends to be 17, Wayne Rooney style, I think. <laughs> and his job is to uh, steer Hatton Rangers away from the relegation zone in March of a season to try and lift them away mm. <laughs> into the bottom fourth bottom position. Yeah. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. And... Um, Johnny wrote it with his massive imagination. Mm. I was there on hand to come up with one or two ideas at the beginning. It's easily his best book. It's what I love and remember him for mostly yeah. in his uh, writing career. And I said to a very good friend of mine, Nigel Cannon, who runs Two Simple Software, and to Fiona, look, we, you know, let's try and raise a little bit of money mm. for the family and also for Mind, which is what Johnny used. Mm. Um, and also that his lovely literature isn't buried with him. You know, the idea that um, sometimes um, books aren't remembered, um, you know, love the lovely work. And so I'm very proud to say that coming up at um, a community centre called JW3, which is in Finchley Road, London, NW3, on Monday, February the 26th in the evening, I'm having an evening with David Bernstein, the former Manchester City and FA chairman, and wonderful. he is obviously a businessman as well. It's going to be wonderful. Mm. I've met him uh, um, before to talk, and he's full of anecdotes, full of stories, and uh, you know he's going to tell me why Roy Hodgson and not Harry Redknapp for the job. Um, <laughs> he's going to tell me which uh, rock star kissed his his kissed his feet in the Manchester City ballroom. <laughs> Um, I'll give you one clue. Actually, it's two. You've got one or two guesses there, and you'll definitely be right with one of them. It's either him or the other one, him, him or his brother, isn't it? Yeah, I, I know where we're going with this. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> and he is uh, on the board of uh, French Connection and Black's Ledger. And uh, listen, he's got a, he's got an anecdote for for every year, and uh, he's a man of great integrity. I, I I I cannot wait to get to get stuck in. He was also on the Aston Villa board for. Um, for about six weeks, was as that well. In the with Deadly Doug era. No, it was in the Randy Lerner era. Oh, okay, more recently. It yeah. was only about a couple of years ago. Yeah, mm. only a couple of years ago with Mervyn King, the governor of the Bank of England, or at least the former one. And yeah. um, he talks uh, very amusingly about uh, Randy in his last few weeks at Villa, mm. um, going off on one. And yeah, then... mean, <laughs> things weren't quite as they seemed with Randy Lerner because people thought he was going to pour millions and millions into the club and you were going to be the next big thing. It didn't quite happen like that, did it? He didn't. Um, unfortunately, he uh, went through a, a 
costly divorce and uh, maybe lost his inclination to run a football club 3,000 miles from home. Mm. And um, he wanted his life simplified, unfortunately. Mm. It was at the cost of our Premier League status, yes, uh, for which we are still trying to rebuild. Um, mm. But it's looking good, isn't it? It's looking good. Well, things are starting to come together a bit now, I think, for Villa. They, they've turned a corner, it seems. But um, you... If we played you again, Marcus, it wouldn't oh. be 3-0. Oh, come off it, come off it. I mean... <laughs> We're doing very well with a very thin no, squad at Cardiff City this season, and um, you know we. And have, you've got a great we, manager. We, we certainly have. Certainly at this level, we've had to tighten our belts. I mean, the days of Vincent Tan throwing money around are gone now. He's running it in a yeah. much more business-like way. But to be honest with you, Johnny, I prefer it because the days of hangers-on Premier League players who are past their best coming to Cardiff City for a payday, that's now gone. Things of Neil Warnock's doing his wheeler dealer stuff, picking up um, talent from the lower leagues, and it is coming together now. I'm glad to say. Well, I'm, I'm pleased. Uh, the last time I saw a Cardiff City game live was in the Premier League at Spurs. It was uh, Spurs 1, Redbirds 0, oh. as I remember it. Yes, the uh, the ill-fated turn from blue to red, but um, thankfully we're back yeah. in our proper colours now, thank goodness. So, Good. so go, going on to, to, to Striker Boy then, uh, are tickets available for this evening with David Birds? They are indeed. If you go to uh, the JW3 website, uh, run a Google search on uh, JW3 David Bernstein, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it will appear top of the Google search. And yes, it's, 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 it's 12 quid. And, 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 and where can people also buy you get, a copy you get of a book. Boy? You get a free book. Yeah. You can go to strikerboy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you buy a ticket, well, first of all, the book is six ninety nine, of mm-hmm. which £1.40 goes to Mind. Wonderful. And, which is great. And then uh, for the night of uh, David Bernstein, it's 12 quid, and you get a free book. Can't say fairer than that. Well, that's excellent value for money, particularly <laughs> these days, isn't it? But um, anyway, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> it's better than football. Johnny. This is Talk Podcast. This is your Talk Podcast debut. We've got some wonderful radio names on here. Tony Horn, Elliot Spiteri, my mate Anna Brees as well. When are you going to do more podcasting for us? It looks like this is another invite uh-huh. live on your podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I, well, you, you, you've got everyone there. I, I guess Elliot is doing cars. He's oh, doing he motoring. Is. He is. The first edition mm. of Talk Motoring is up now. The second one's going to be up in a matter of days and it's going well. Well, I listen, I wish you well, um, because uh, you get to the right audience and you, you pick the right tone yeah. and uh, you, you, you get a big, big audience. Podcasting is a future mm. of broadcast for sure. I, I think so. We've got a lot of freedom on here as well. I've given you plenty of time to tell your story. No time constraints. and uh, You've done it very well. So, Johnny, thank you very much for your time. It's my absolute pleasure, Marcus. Thank you. Cheers, Johnny.